please turn with me to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, which is in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. And the title of today's sermon is Cleansed for a Purpose. And if you have your Bibles, if you can stand with me one more time as we read God's word together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. And we'll actually pick up in chapter 7, verse 28. Scripture reads, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You may be seated. Oh, Father, we pray that you will send your spirit into the sanctuary and illuminate our eyes and our hearts so that we may understand your word this morning in your son's name. Amen. Well, many people believe that Matthew's gospel was the most highly regarded gospel in the early church. And in fact, Matthew's gospel is the most quoted gospel in the first, third, and fourth century of the early church fathers. Matthew is the longest gospel. It is the most Jewish. And so it's no wonder that when the church canonized the New Testament, it placed Matthew first in the order of the New Testament. And so the former tax collector, Matthew, he had several goals in mind when he wrote his gospel. But his greatest desire was to show the reader to show us that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's promised Messiah, which the Hebrew scriptures had so prophesied. And Matthew, he argues for Jesus' identity as Messiah beginning in the first verse. In Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, he gives the royal genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then he follows in chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, he clearly declares that Jesus was born of a virgin. In chapter 2, he describes the Magi from the East. These were men whose entire lives were devoted to travel around the world to crown and announce the new kings and rulers of the known world. And they came all the way to Israel, to Bethlehem, to crown Jesus as Messiah King. 
In chapter 3, Matthew describes Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and declares that the heavens were opened and a voice spoke out saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then in chapter 4, he compares the first Adam described in Genesis 3 with the second Adam, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 4. And while the first Adam failed miserably in his temptation, Jesus proved victorious. And then he follows up in chapters 5 to 7, and he he records what is perhaps the greatest expository sermon of the Old Testament in the Sermon on the Mount preached by our Lord Jesus Christ, teaching as one having authority that no one had seen before. And now here in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Matthew gives nine short stories, nine vignettes of our Lord Jesus Christ performing nine unique miracles to once again affirm that Jesus is Messiah the King. And what we've just read is the first of these nine stories It's a short story, 72 words in the English translation, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to divide this short story into four sections, the predicament, the plea, the pronouncement, and the purpose. So if you still have your Bibles, keep your eyes focused back on Matthew chapter 8, beginning in the first part of chapter, or verse 2, the predicament. Verse 2, again it reads, And behold, a leper came to Jesus. Now let's stop right there. I'm not sure which Bible translation you're holding, but most English translations do not include the word behold. And I think they neglected to include this word because in the modern English vernacular, you and I don't typically use the word behold. But this word behold is a favorite word of Matthew. He uses it frequently, but very selectively. And he uses it primarily to introduce something that is sudden, something unexpected, something exceptional. In chapter 1, when the angel of the Lord came to Joseph, Matthew says, Behold, an angel of the Lord. When the angel announces the virgin birth to Joseph, the angel says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. When Matthew describes the star that led the Magi from the east, Matthew says, Behold, the star. And in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, when when Jesus came up, Matthew says, Behold, the heavens were open, and behold, a voice came out saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in chapter 4, when Jesus was victorious in his temptation, Matthew again says, Behold, angels came to minister to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now in chapter 8, verse 2, Matthew writes, And behold, a leper came to him. And to understand why this is so remarkable, why this is so extraordinary, we need to understand a little bit more about leprosy. Now, the modern understanding that leprosy came from a bacteria was first described about 300 years before our Lord Jesus Christ by physicians in Alexandria and in Egypt. But I believe that during the time of Moses and during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, most people who use this Greek word that's translated as a man with leprosy probably just understood that leprosy is a generic term for a serious skin condition that was deep, penetrating, contagious, contaminating, and terminal. Luke, when he describes the same story, he describes this leper as a man full of leprosy, covered with leprosy. It wasn't just one spot, one arm, part of the body. He was covered completely with this leprous disease. And God explicitly commands the people of Israel that for all people in leprosy, they were to be put out of the city, put out of the community. Numbers chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 clearly command that. And so for a leper to come to Jesus, to approach anyone, but to come to Jesus while Jesus was inside the city, that was unfathomable. No one comes to, to another person if they're a leper. In fact, if you guys recall, in, in Luke chapter 17, when Jesus cleanses 10 lepers, those 10 lepers did not come to Jesus. In fact, the text says that the 10 lepers stood as far away as they could, and they yelled at Jesus saying, have mercy, have mercy. They didn't have the audacity to approach our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's a man, desperate man, may have been months, years of this leprous disease. Somehow he hears that there's a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and somehow he is able to ascertain that Jesus had the power of God, and it was Jesus alone that it was his sole hope to be cleansed of his leprosy. And so this leper approaches Jesus. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. For me, none of the book of Leviticus is familiar, so <laughs> it's always a challenge to, to go to the book of Leviticus. But turn with me to Leviticus chapter 13. Let's dig a little deeper about what leprosy truly meant for this individual and for people during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Leviticus chapter 13, Moses writes, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, 
and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body. Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. And when the priest had examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So think with me. There's a man. He's an adult, married with young children. And he wakes up one morning and his, his wife turns to him and says, what's that on your skin? And he looks and he sees a couple of spots and says, oh, it's probably nothing. I probably brushed my arm on a brush or some bush. And a few days go by and there's more. And the skin's turning white. And it's not superficial anymore. It's deep. And he shows it to his wife and says, I don't know. Can this be leprosy? And can you imagine what will happen next? Because of the Levitical law, he immediately has to take off his clothes. He has to separate himself from his wife, his children. He has to isolate and quarantine himself and his family members give news to Levitical priests. Please come and examine my husband and tell us what you think. And so the priest follows all the instructions of Leviticus chapter 13. And sure enough, he will oftentimes make the pronouncement, this is leprosy, you are unclean. That is about the most horrifying news a person can receive during the time of Moses and even during the time of Christ. Look down in verse, uh, chapter 13 of Leviticus still, verse 45. Scripture reads, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. So what happens is that this man with leprosy, he's actually instructed to wear torn clothes. To tear your clothes or to wear torn clothes is a sign of misery, of being in a desperate state. Whether he's male or female, not to do anything with his or her hair, and all he can do whenever he's around in any eyesight of others, he is to cover his mouth, his mustache, his upper lip, and yell out to everyone, unclean, unclean. Look at verse 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Here's the thing about leprosy. The physical illness is actually the trivial part. The major predicament here is him or her being ostracized from all society, including his friends, 
including his family, his wife, his children. No more hugs, no more kisses, no more pats on the back, no more caressing, holding your child. He is put out of the family, he is put out of the city, he is put out of all society. And you understand during this time, if you are outside of the city, you have nothing. You have no protection. There is nothing. And unlike our 21st century, there's no remote work. If you get put out of society, you lose all your possessions. You can't own land. You can't own property. So you lose everything. No possessions. No friends. No family. Your life could be all of a sudden in a split second changed. That's what happens to someone who has leprosy. Now sometimes these individuals, maybe it truly isn't leprosy. They wait for a few days, a few weeks, soon months, years. And it remains. I'm sure if a person had leprosy would cry out to God every day, If you are willing, you can make me clean. That was this leper. Nothing in this world can cleanse him, can heal him. No human being, nothing of his own doing. And he goes on for this extended period of time and he hears the news of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I've got to get in there, I've got to get into the city. I've got to see this man and make my plea to him. There's another story of Naaman, who was a commander of the army of of Syria. You can read the story in 2 Kings chapter 5. The king of Syria, when he sees Naaman, who had leprosy, the king of Syria actually writes a letter to the king of Israel and offers over 30 kilograms of gold, 75 pounds of gold to the king of Syria. And in this letter, presumably writes to ask the king of Israel, who is supposedly following the God of Israel, to heal Naaman of his leprosy. And do you remember what the king of Israel wrote? In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, the king says, Am I God? To kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Everyone knew, past and present, during the time of Christ, that no one can cure and cleanse a man of leprosy. To ask for someone for this help is to ask God. The predicament? Leprosy. This leper cannot heal himself. He is ostracized, including separation from his family, and even worse, he is separated from God. He cannot worship God. He cannot enter into the temple. He can't even be close to the temple. He can't bring any offerings. He, his relationship with God, as prescribed in the Old Testament, becomes non-existent. So that is the predicament. But second, let's look at the plea. And we see that Back in Matthew 13, 
in verse 2, the second half of verse 2. And behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him. And knelt before him. The New American Standard translates this verb and bowed down before him. Another English translation translates this verb and worshipped him. This verb depicts a posture of prostration. This leper, this man, is on his knees with his head facing the ground in a posture of reverence and worship. You only do this to two types of people. Royalty and deity. Of course, Jesus is both. He is Messiah King and he is sovereign God. You know, interesting, in the Greek, the Greek uses verbs a little bit differently than in the English language. But when telling a story, there are two types of verbal aspects that can be used. And the best way I can illustrate this is suppose some of you decide sometime in the next few weeks to go on a vacation. And you bring your camera or your phone. And there are times when you want to capture the story, what happens on your vacation. Your camera or your phone lets you take a picture or a video. And so in the Greek language, you can describe a story either using verbs that show a snapshot, a picture, or a video. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, picture, great crowds followed him, picture, and behold, a leper came to him, picture, and knelt before him, video. Why? Matthew didn't forget and kept the camera on video. He had it on picture the whole time, but he flipped it to video. He wants the reader to understand that this kneeling, this bowing, it wasn't just a quick bow. It's not like a pianist up here on stage gives a performance and when the crowd applauds, gives a bow and sits down. This man remains prostrate, worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ for some considerable time. And you don't need to know Greek to understand that this is true because Mark and Luke, who also record this, uses additional language. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Mark writes, the leper was imploring Jesus and kneeling, implying that he was begging Jesus while kneeling at the same time. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, Luke writes, the leper fell on his face and begged Jesus as he was on his face. And so this leper, he was kneeling, he was prostrate, face down, and he remained there for quite some time. And as he was in this position, this is what he says, Lord, if you will, 
you can make me clean. Now I understand this. So he is on his knees, face down, and he cries out, Lord. I don't think we need to quibble as to whether or not he's just saying Lord to be polite, like sir, or good teacher. When a man is on his knees, face planted, and he cries out, Lord, he is acknowledging and recognizing the person he is asking this request is the sovereign Lord. Notice also what this leper says in his plea. If you will, you can make me clean. This is powerful. I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge that God can do all things. And that's implied here, right? He says, you can make me clean. But notice is what he says. He says, if you will. And by saying this, he is acknowledging not just the omnipotence of God, but the sovereignty of God. You see, he's telling Jesus that because you are Lord, you rule, you reign, you decide. And there is no obligation on your part. You're not obligated to show pity on me. There's nothing that will coerce your decision. Every decision you make, including this one, is independent and yours alone. One of God's attributes is his possession of his free will. You know, as God's image bearers, you and I, well, we have a will too. As Jonathan Edwards defines will, we define will as simply the ability to choose. You and I can make choices. We have a will. But you see, our will is different. As Edwards describes, our will is always influenced by our desires, our affections. And our affections can be tainted by our residing sinful nature. I may decide today, oh, I could eat ice cream or not. But if you bring chocolate ice cream in front of me, oh, that desire is there. I can still choose, but my desires are influenced by certain things that are outside of my control. So you and I have a will but our liberty and our free will is different than that of the sovereign God. Our sovereign God has a free will, and it is not influenced by any part of his creation. He is under no obligation, no indebtedness. He gets to choose. He can decide, and he should decide, and that's what makes him God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. God had already ratified his covenant with Moses and the people of Israel back in Exodus chapter 24. And in Exodus chapter 33, 
in verse 18, Moses asks for something quite dramatic. He says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says, he's talking to God here, please show me your glory. So Moses is telling God, you've revealed so much of yourself, but I want to see more. Show me your glory. He doesn't fully understand it perhaps at this time, but in some ways he's asking God, show me Christ. I want to see God face to face in person. And of course, God tells Moses, I can't do that for you right now. But think with me. If God were to show himself, because Moses is asking for full revelation. If you were God, what would you reveal? You would think, well, maybe I'll declare my holiness. I'll declare my love. Or perhaps that I'm all-powerful, omnipotent. But what does God show Moses? Look at verse 19. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And read this. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So what is God showing Moses? You want, you want to see me? You want to know who God is? Well, here I am I, God. I will. I can decide to whom I am gracious to. And I can decide it is my will, my free will, to choose to whom I bestow mercy. That's what makes me God, is what God is saying. See, the leper recognizes that God is omnipotent, but the leper recognizes that God is sovereign. God reigns, God decides, God has full authorization, full authority, and full entitlement to his choices, which are free, which are full of liberty, and that's what makes him God. And so get this. The leper does not know what Jesus is about to do. But to have this recognition of God as sovereign, it must be well with him if Jesus should say, sorry, not now. I cannot cleanse you. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we don't realize what true faith needs to look like. One mark of true faith, and you can test this in your own heart. See, when God decides and his decisions are in harmony with ours, everything is good. But what is your response when God makes a decision and it goes against you and what you think is right and what you think is just? 
what you think is merciful. I fully believe that this leper, should Jesus have not chosen to cleanse him, he would have still recognized that Jesus is Lord. So what is the predicament? Leprosy. What is the plea? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, third, let's look at the pronouncement. The pronouncement. Back to Matthew chapter 8, and we see the pronouncement in verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. I'm going to stop again. (laughs) Jesus stretched out his hand. You know, Matthew uses this description a second time in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus was walking on water. And Peter sees Jesus, asks Jesus to call him out. Peter starts to walk on water and the storms, the winds come up. And for those of you who remember the story, Peter begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus for help. And what does Matthew record? Jesus stretched out his hand. You see, Even though the leper did enter the city to come to Jesus, presumably, perhaps still out of respect, he was perhaps still several feet away. He wasn't touching Jesus. He wasn't like the woman who had the hemorrhage that went to touch the robe of Jesus. But Jesus extends He stretches out his hand and he touches the leper. Nobody touches a leper. Leviticus 5.3 clearly prohibits anyone from touching a leper, either involuntarily or more important, voluntarily. To touch a leper brought uncleanliness and it brought guilt. And we know Jesus could have easily healed this leper without touching him. And we know this because in the very next short story with the centurion servant, the centurion says, don't come into my house. And so what did Jesus say? Jesus just said, let it be done. And the servant, who was perhaps kilometers, miles away, was healed. So Jesus clearly could have cleansed this man of leprosy without touching him. But Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Can you you imagine? This leper probably had not felt the touch of another human being perhaps for years. And Jesus touched him. I think it's fascinating that in the Old Testament, we know that God is one and we know that God is spirit. And God could reveal so much of himself during the time of the Old Testament. 
But it wasn't until the New Testament when the second person of the Trinity put on humanity so he could stretch out his hand and touch him. And then Jesus makes the pronouncement. Verse 3. I will be clean. He immediately reassures this leper, who again does not know what Jesus is about to do. And he reassures the leper and says, I will. And as we will soon see, this decision was a costly one. He says, I will, and then he says, be clean. Be clean here. Greek scholars describe that be clean here is what is called a pronouncement imperative. A pronouncement imperative. You can have an imperative in the passive voice, and it is used as a pronouncement. So let me explain. So if I want one of my kids to do something, I'll I'll say, do this, sit down, stand up. I am giving a command in the active voice because the person I am commanding has a responsibility or has the ability to, in a sense, comply to that command, and that person is active. We rarely do this in the English language. But there are imperatives in the passive voice. And not only that, but there's, there's no command. There's no one that's going to hear your command. It, it, it just is. It's not a command. It is a pronouncement. And that's what we see here in verse 3 when Jesus says, be clean. To help you understand this a little bit more, Matthew uh, uses this again uh, in the story when, uh, when there was this great storm and the, 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 the ship that Jesus and the disciples in you know, was perhaps at jeopardy. What, what did Jesus do? Jesus stood up and he calls out to the storm, peace, be still. Pronouncement imperative. I guess you can say there, there was the sea, there was wind, there was storm, but as we know, seas, storms, wind, they don't have a will. They, <laughs> they don't have the ability on their own. Jesus wasn't issuing a command to the, to the sea or to the wind per se. He was making a pronouncement, a pronouncement imperative. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, there was nothing. There was no creation, no storm, no wind, nothing. And what did God do? He said, Let there be light. Pronouncement imperative. It's a command, but there's nothing there. There's no creation. He is simply making 
a declaration, a pronouncement. In another term, divine fiat. And whenever our God makes a pronouncement imperative, it immediately happens. That's what makes him God. And look what it says in verse 3 after Jesus says, Be clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. All three accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all include immediately. No delay, in an instant. And brothers and sisters, it's actually the same way when a person comes to Christ and is converted. It's true that for some of us, our path to Christ, if you will, may seem like a long journey. That There's a period of time where the Holy Spirit perhaps slowly softens our heart and then in that final instant regenerates for our conversion. But know this, that when a person comes to Christ and God calls you, it is immediate. Old self to new self. It's not a tunnel. It's a gate. You enter and you're in. So the predicament, leprosy. The plea, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The pronouncement, I will be clean. Fourth, let's look at the purpose. The purpose. And we see the purpose in verse 4. Let me just read it again. Jesus says to the leper, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus doesn't give this leper much time, does he? He doesn't tell him, well, you know what? Go see your family. I know you haven't seen them in quite some time. You know, take a bath, take a shower, um, settle down, and then, all right, I'm going to give you some further instruction. He gives the leper immediate demand. Without delay, Jesus gives several commands to the leper. He gives a negative command first. See that you say nothing to anyone. This verb see, when it is followed by something negative, it has the meaning of beware. Take heed. Be cautious. Watch out. See to it that you tell no one. And then the positive command, go, show yourself, and offer the gift. Let me make another comment here. There are three verbs here, go, show, offer. There is no conjunction between go and show and offer. And when that happens, the go has a meaning of hurry. Don't delay. It's not like a recipe. First put, you know, two cups of milk, then two eggs, and then some flour. 
It's go now. And what are you going to do as you're going? You are showing yourself to the priest and offering the gift that Moses commanded. Turn with me back to Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. Just so you understand what Jesus is, is commanding this leper to do. Leviticus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live birds, two live clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and a hyssop and dip them with the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall be pronounced clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. So notice here that this is a description of a ceremony of purification for the leper who seemingly now is free from the disease of leprosy. The ceremony does no healing in and of itself. The person is already healed of his leprosy. And it seems like a pretty interesting ceremony, right? You take two birds, cedar wood, some yarn, hyssop. You kill one of the birds. And because birds don't have much blood, but they have, I guess, a little bit of blood. You kill the bird under running water. So now you have this, run, this water that's tinged with blood. And then you take the other items, including the live bird, and you dip the live bird into this blood-tinged water. You sprinkle it onto the man, and then you let the second bird go. That is what Moses has recorded here in Leviticus 14. And now, doesn't this make more sense? The dead first bird can depict the leper. That when you are besieged with leprosy, you are, in a sense, dead. And then there is this blood-tinged water that's sprinkled onto the second bird, and the second bird is then released to go free. And that second bird can depict the leper now free, no longer under bondage, can enter the city back with his family, and more importantly, able again to worship God. But this wasn't the only thing that needed to happen. Look down in verse 10. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, 
and one log of oil. So now that this man is cleansed, he is now able to worship God. And to worship God during this time required sacrificial offerings. And here the leper is to produce two male lambs, one female lamb, seven liters of fine flour, and about a third of a liter of fine oil. And in verse 21 and 22, there's a contingency that if the leper was poor, there would be a little bit of a discount. And I think it's ironic because based on what we know, all lepers were poor, right? How can you be a rich leper if you're following the ordinances of God? So what Jesus asked of this leper in verse 4 was immediate, inconvenient, and costly. Because this story takes place in the area of Galilee. Jerusalem was 60 kilometers south, 40 miles south. So basically what Jesus is commanding this leper to do is don't talk to anyone, perhaps not even your family. Gather all these things. You might have to beg for them. And take all of this, the lambs, the flour, the oil, the birds, and go 40 miles down to Jerusalem. Show yourself to the priest and follow these laws. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So what is the purpose? The purpose, the reason why Jesus cleanses this leper is for service to God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. But what does he say in verse 10? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. The purpose for cleansing is for service. And here, the leper is cleansed so that he is now fit to worship God in Jerusalem and for evangelism. That by doing this in the proper way, you will be proof. You will be testimony to the watching world. Well, brothers and sisters, you, are, you and I are in a similar predicament. But our predicament is not leprosy. It's sin. Scripture says we are slaves to sin. We are enslaved to its power and its penalty, which results in death and eternal separation from God. And like the leper, we can't save ourselves. We can do whatever we want, but we can't save ourselves from our sin. We are helpless we are spiritually destitute. In a word, we are dead. And so like the leper, what is our only response? Well, our only response is to plead to God. And like the leper, say that, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And of course, God promises, right? Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Jesus said in the the sermon earlier in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you and I understand that we are poor, we are spiritually destitute, there's nothing that we can do for our spiritual self. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can I add one more footnote to the story? It's not included in the Matthew account, but it's included in Mark. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 45. You would think that when you read the story, everyone lives happily ever after. But there's a little hiccup. Mark chapter 1, verse 45. Because it's Mark that records what the leper actually did. Mark 1, verse 45. But the leper went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. At the start of the story, it was the leper that was ostracized and had to live outside of the city walls. And Jesus was doing his father's work in the city. At the end of the story, the leper was free in the city to talk with everyone. And where was Jesus? He could not openly stay in the city, and he was put out, not only outside, but as Mark wrote, out in desolate places. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ knew foreknew Matthew or Mark 145 and still he said to the leper I will be cleansed brothers and sisters when God says I will clean I will make you clean it came with a cost and obviously it came in a cost in this situation with Jesus being put out of the city But Jesus paid a far greater cost, didn't he? He gave his life on Calvary when he hung on the tree. All of this purification required blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It required the blood with the ceremony of the two birds, pointing to the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The story doesn't end there, right? Because we want to remind ourselves that we are cleansed for a purpose. You see, being clean, it it costs us nothing. But ultimately, it costs us everything. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
There are two types of people in our room, in our sanctuary this morning. There are some of you that are on the wide path that leads to destruction, and there are some of you that are on the narrow path. To those of you who are still on the wide path, I plead with you this morning, understand our dire predicament. We are slaves to sin, its power, and its penalty. Imitate the leper. Our only response is to plead to God, and he promises he will answer that plea and pronounce us clean. And to those of you who are on the narrow path, I challenge you this day. You have been cleansed for a purpose. And that purpose is full obedience to him for his glory at his service. Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's costly, will you surrender all to him today? There's a story of a man named Judson Van de Vender, and he was born in the 19th century. Brilliant musician, accomplished artist, and he was active in his local church, and a few friends recognized his giftedness and told Judson and said, you should give up everything and become a full-time evangelist. For five years, Judson struggled and wavered, deciding between ministry and seeking recognition as an artist. And finally, he writes this with his pen. He writes, For some time, I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last, the pivotal hour of my life came, and I surrendered all and a new day was ushered into my life. A couple years later, he pens these lyrics. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, My blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's pray.